Chapter Three of The Stolen Singer by Martha Fletcher Bellinger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Three: Midsummer Madness. The driver of the taxicab proved to be a sound sport. Five minutes of luck, aided by nerve, brought the two machines somewhat nearer together. The motor-car gained in the open spaces. The taxicab caught up when it came to weaving its way in and out and dodging the trolleys. At the frequent moments when he appeared to be losing the car, Hamilton reflected that he had its number, which might lead to something. At the Waldorf, the car slowed up, and the cab came within a few yards. Hamilton made up his mind at that instant that he had been mistaken in his supposition of trouble threatening the lady, and looked momently to see her step from the car into the custody of those starched and lacquered menials who guard the portals of fashionable hotels. But it was not so. A signal was interchanged between the occupants of the car and some watcher in the doorway, and the car sped on. Hamilton, watching steadily, wondered if she is being kidnapped why doesn't she make somebody here plenty of chance they couldn't have killed her that isn't done and yet his heart smote him as he remembered the terror and distress written on that countenance and the cry for help something was the matter memory insisted there they go west west tenth alexander street tenth avenue the car lumbered on the cab half a block often more in the rear through endless regions of small shops and offices huddled together above narrow sidewalks through narrow and winding streets paved with cobblestones and jammed with cars and trucks squeezing past curbs where dirty children sat playing within a few inches of death-dealing wheels hamilton wondered what kept them from being killed by hundreds daily but the wonder was immediately forgotten in a new subject for thought the cab had stopped although several yards of clear road lay ahead of it the driver was climbing down the motor-car was nosing its way along nearly a block ahead hamilton leapt out of course we've broken down he mildly inquired deep in his heart he was superstitiously thinking that he would let fate determine his next move if there were obstacles in the way of his further quest well and good he would follow the face no longer if you'll wait just a minute the driver was saying until i get my kit out but hamilton looking ahead saw that the car had disappeared and his mind suddenly veered not this time he announced here the meter says four twenty you take this i'm off he put a five-dollar bill into the hand of the driver and started on an easy run toward the west he had caught sight of smokestacks and masts in the near distance telling him that the motor-car had almost if not quite reached the river such a vehicle could not disappear and leave no trace it ought to be easy to find ahead of him flaring lights alternated with the steady piercing brilliance of the incandescence and both struggled against the lingering daylight a heavy policeman at the corner had seen the car he pointed west into the cavernous darkness of the wharves if she ain't down at the imperial docks she's gone plump into the river for that's the way she went he insisted 
the policeman had the bearing of a major-general and the accent of the city of cork hamilton went on past the curving street-car tracks dodged a loaded dray emerging from the dock and threaded his way under the shed he passed piles of trunks and a couple of truckmen dumping assorted freight from an ocean liner no motor-car or veiled lady nor sound of anything like a woman's voice hamilton came out into the street again looked about for another probable avenue of escape for the car and was at the point of bafflement when the major-general pounded slowly along his way in there my son and no place either pointing to a smaller entrance alongside the imperial docks almost concealed by swinging signs it was plainly a forbidden way and at first sight appeared too narrow for the passage of any vehicle whatsoever but examination showed that it was not too narrow moreover it opened on a level with the street if you really want her she's in there though what'll be to pay if you go in there without a permit i don't know i'd hate to have to arrest you it might be the best thing for me if you did but i'm going in you might wait here a minute captain if you will i will that more especially as that car was a stunner for speed and i already had my eye on her i'd like to see you fish her out of that hole but hambleton was out of earshot and out of sight an empty passage smelling of bilge water and pent-up gases opened suddenly onto the larger dock damp flooring with wide cracks stretched out to the left on the right the solid planking terminated suddenly in huge piles against which the water capped with scum and weeds splashed fitfully the river bank lined with docks seemed lulled into temporary quietness ferry-boats steamed at their labors farther up and down the river but the currents of travel left here and there a peaceful quarter such as this hamilton's gaze searched the dock and the river in rapid survey the dock itself was dim and vast with a few workmen looking like ants in the distance it offered nothing of encouragement but on the river fifty yards away and getting farther away every minute was a yacht's tender the figures of the two rowers were quite distinct their oars making rhythmical flashes over the water but it was impossible to say exactly what freight human or otherwise it carried it was evident that there were people aboard possibly several even as hamilton strained his eyes to see the outlines of the rowboat merged into the dimness it was pointed like a gun toward a large yacht lying at anchor farther out in the stream the vessel swayed prettily to the current and slowly swung its dim light from the masthead they've got her out in that boat said hamilton to himself feeling while the words were on his lips that he was drawing conclusions unwarranted by the evidence thus he stood one foot on the slippery log siding of the dock watching while the little drama played itself out so far as his present knowledge could go his judgment still hung in suspense but his senses quickened themselves to detect if possible what the outcome might be he saw the tender approach the boat lie alongside 
saw one sailor after another descend the rope ladder saw a limp inert mass lifted from the rowboat and carried up as if it had been merchandise to the deck of the yacht saw two men follow the limp bundle over the gunwale and finally saw the boat herself drawn up and placed in her davits hamilton's mind at last slid to its conclusion like a bolt into its socket they're kidnapping her without a doubt he said slowly for a moment he was like one struck stupid slowly he turned to the dock looking up and down its orderly but unprepossessing clutter dim lights shone here and there and a few hands were at work at the farther end the dull silence the unresponsive preoccupation of whatever life was in sight made it all seem as remote from him and from this tragedy as from the stars in fact it was impersonal and remote to such a degree that hamilton's practical mind halted yet an instant in doubt whether there were not some plausible explanation the thought came back to him suddenly that the motor-car must be somewhere in the neighborhood if his conclusion were correct on the instant his brain became active again it did not take long as a matter of fact to find the car though when he stumbled on it turned about and neatly stowed away close beside the partitioning wall he gave a start it was such a tangible evidence of what had threatened to grow vague and unreal on his hands he squeezed himself into the narrow space between it and the wall finally thrusting his head under the curtains of the tonneau it was high and dry empty as last year's cockle-shell not a sign of life not a loose object of any kind except a filmy thing which hamilton found himself observing thoughtfully at last he picked it up a long mist-like veil he spread it out held it gingerly between a thumb and finger of each hand and continued to look at it abstractedly part of it was clean and whole dainty as only a bit of woman's finery can be but one end of it was torn and twisted and stretched out of all semblance to itself moreover it was dirty as if it had been ground under a muddy heel it was in its way a shrieking evidence of violence of unrighteous struggle hamilton folded the scarf carefully with its edges together and put it in his pocket jimmy's actions from this time on had an incentive and a spirit that had before been lacking he noted again the number of the car and returned to the edge of the dock to observe the yacht she had steamed up river a little way for some reason known only to herself and was now turning very slowly she was but faintly lighted and would pass for some pleasure craft just coming home but jim knew better he could at last put two and two together he would follow the face indeed he could not help following it in him had begun that divine experience of youth of youth essentially whether it come in early years or late of being carried off his feet by a spirit not himself he ran like a young athlete down the dock to the nearest workman evolving schemes as he went the dockhand apathetically trundled a small keg from one pile of freight to another wiped his hands on his trousers took a dry pipe out of his pocket 
and looked vacantly up the river before he replied to hamilton's question queer name jane dark they call her it was like pulling teeth to get information out of him but jim applied the forceps the yacht had been lying out in the river for two weeks or more possibly less belonged to foreign parts no one thereabouts knew who its owner was nor its captain nor its purpose in the harbor of new york at last quite gratuitously the man volunteered a personal opinion slippery boat in a gale wouldn't trust her hamilton walked smartly back taking a look both at the yacht and the motor-car as he went the yacht's nose pointed toward the jersey shore the car was creeping out of the dock as he overtook the machine he saw that it was in the hands of a mechanic in overalls and jumper in answer to hamilton's question as to the owner of the car the mechanic told him pleasantly to go to the devil and for once the sight of a coin failed to produce any perceptible effect but the major-general waiting half a block away was still in the humor of giving fatherly advice he welcomed jim heartily that's a hole i ain't got no use for how'd you make out well enough for all present purposes can you undertake to do a job for me if it ain't nothing i'd have to arrest you for i might consider it he chuckled i want you to go to the laramie club and tell aleck van camp got the name that hamilton has gone off on the jeanne d'arc and may not be back for some time and he is to look after the seagull hold on young man you're not going to do anything out of reason as one might say oh no not at all most reasonable thing in the world you take this money and be sure to get the message to mr van camp will you all right now tell me where i can find a tugboat or a steam launch quick o'leary down at pier x two o has launches and everything else all right my son aleck van camp at the laramie but you'll be good and don't drown yourself the last injunction word for word in the manner of the pert edith touched jimmy's humor he laughed ringingly his spirit was like a chime of bells on a weekday the hour which followed was one that james hamilton found it difficult to recall afterward with any degree of coherence but at the time his movements were mathematically accurate swift effective he got aboard a little steam tug and followed the yacht down the river and into the harbor as she stood out into the roads and began to increase her speed he directed the captain of the tug to steam forward and make as if to cross her bows this would make the pilot of the yacht angry but he would be forced to slow down a trifle jim watched long enough to see the success of his manoeuvre then went down into the cuddy which served as a cabin took off most of his clothes and looked to the fastenings of his money belt and then he watched his chance and when the tug was pretty nearly in the path of the yacht he crept to the stern and dropped overboard End of chapter three